Welcome to Breaches and Brews. My name is Keaton, and on this podcast, we are going to be talking to professionals in banking, sharing some insights, helpful tips and tricks, and some fun stories along the way. On today's podcast, we are incredibly lucky to have Mr. Brian Buck join us. Brian has been with South Star Bank since 2007. He is currently the CTO, also the president of the Nolanville Economic Development Corporation. We are currently going to hear from Brian about his journey through the bank, his thoughts on managing a team, and a whole lot more. Uh, We really, really are lucky to have someone like Brian join us, so let's get into it. It's Breaches and Brews with Reveal Data Security. Okay, now we welcome on Brian. Brian, how are you, sir? I'm I'm doing well. I'm I'm excited for this. Uh, you know, the the only other podcast I've ever been on was just a uh, one that we do to trash talk each other on our fantasy football league. So, you know, I'm sure this will be a lot more substantive. How many people are in your league? What? How many teams? Uh, so that league has 14 in it, and uh, you know, I'm I'm usually one of the top ones, not to brag. But uh, but last year I got beat in the championship by a by a 14 year old kid. So you know, whatever. <laughs> oh, oh well, that sounds like there was cheating involved. So you should. Oh, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah, you should get the league in. You should get the league into it, and and you could. Really I voiced my complaint to the commissioner. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's so that's so funny. Yeah. Well, I have never been invited on a podcast, so I we started our own. Um, and and we, we really are lucky to have you join us. I think somebody with your experience in banking, you know, last week we had talked to a gentleman who had been through multiple different industries and had been in banking for maybe about five years, a little under five years. You've spent a tremendous amount of time in banking and technology and overseeing multiple parts of the bank. And so I'm, I'm kind of interested to get your thoughts on our industry, how things are going and how we need to progress it. But before we get to that point, we started Breaches and Brews as a way to have these conversations that are very low pressure. You're not, you know, there's no sales involved. There's nothing like that. We're just getting to know people. I've always kind of thought about it like when, you know, we get the opportunity to take people out to, uh, to get a drink or some coffee or something like that. So, but you can't have these conversations without something to drink. I'm a firm believer in that. So I have to ask, one, did you get the coffee I sent? And two, what are you drinking? So I did not get your coffee yet, but I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. And, and you know, I, I know a coffee or a beer is, is kind of the theme here, but uh, but I had actually decided to buck the trend a little bit. I'm actually drinking tea. So uh, I've got a nice uh, Thai chai is what it's called. You know, normal okay. chai, black sure. tea with some cinnamon and some ginger, but then it's got some coconut and lemongrass in it too. So, you know, anyway, a nice, nice afternoon treat there. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely much healthier. I would, probably, oh, yeah, yeah. I would probably have to assume. <laughs> and uh, you, you have to let me know when that coffee comes in. It's a, uh, it's a local roaster here in my little town of, of Cheney, Washington. Uh, and they, they made this coffee for us and we, we just keep going back for more. It's actually, you know, I'm pretty proud of it. Uh, aside from like our risk assessment, I think it's something that we do really, really well. Uh, <laughs> well so, good. Will so, I be so, able to get more if it's, if it's really good? Anytime. Absolutely. All right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and you don't even have to join. Well, we'll send you some at any time. Uh, but 
I, you know, like I'd said earlier, I'd done just a little bit of research as, as far as I can go, you know, your websites and LinkedIn and stuff like that. But I think you can probably tell your story a lot better than a bio can. And so I was just turn it to you for a few minutes. And if you could give us your, your journey through getting to the bank, how you got to the CTO position and um, yeah, that, sure. that piece of it. Yeah. Um, you know, like you said, I, I listened to your last episode with, uh, with Dr. Zach there. And, you know, I, we all kind of have a unique path and his is like completely different than mine, you know, and totally. uh, I, I like to tell people I'm a banker first. That, that sure. is my passion. I'm not just an IT guy. I, you know, that happens to be my role within the bank. But, uh, but you know, I see myself as a community banker. And, of course, it took a while to get there. Um, you know, I, I started at a, a little two-year Christian college in Florida and then went on to my, my four-year state school, Sam Houston State in Texas. And I didn't know what I wanted to be. I, I started out as a math major and thought I wanted to be a math profess, professor and and then I took Cal three and uh, that killed me. And I was like, okay, never mind. Uh, maybe math is, maybe I'm not as good at math as I thought I was. So sure. it's like, what else is, you know, what else is good with numbers? And so I looked around, eh, finance sounds easy enough. And so, you know, joined the finance department. Sam Houston actually was one of, I think only two schools at the time in Texas that had a, a banking major itself. So I was a double major finance and banking. Uh, my mom's an accountant. So, you know, I got a minor in accounting just to, just to make her happy too, and still do a little bit of that on the side. Um, so, you know, that, again, that's my passion. That's, that's where it's at. I always, you know, through high school and even college, I had some kind of random IT jobs, if you'd call them that, you know, installing wireless network antennas and sure. running servers at night, you know, whatever. But I, I told myself, I didn't really want to work in IT. I knew I was good at it, but but I wasn't as interested in it. I wanted to do something else. Um, but here we are, you know. And so after college, I got an internship my senior year uh, with a community bank and, uh, you know, went to work for them. It was just kind of a summer thing. Um, but then they hired me on. I stayed there for another year. Um, I thought I thought I might like to go to a little bit bigger bank. So uh, for, for a year after that, I went to... I won't name any names, but, uh, you know, <laughs> one of the big guys and sure. uh, worked in downtown Houston in a skyscraper and all that realized there's a whole lot of reasons that that doesn't make sense for, for me anyway, you know, the commute, yeah. the bus time, the, anyway, the, the pressure and whatnot of it. So, uh, but I learned some valuable lessons along the way, you know, went from a financial analyst position where I was working for the CFO, kind of doing internal financial reports to a credit analyst position and underwriter where I was actually making loan decisions for that, for that big bank. And I always thought I wanted to be a loan officer. And so sure. finally, my, my third position, which is what is now South Star Bank, uh, I got offered a, a opportunity to come to, to Colleen, Texas and, and work as a loan officer. And so that's what I did for a number of years. We were just, uh, we were actually known as Texas Star Bank at the time and just three branches. And the one that I was at was a brand new branch. They brought me in to help open that branch um, along with a, a more experienced lender who was going to be the branch manager. Um, and so, you know, I, I loved that. I had a good time. I enjoyed being a loan officer. I really, you know, construction loans were kind of my forte and sure. loved watching people build their houses and getting to go out and, you know, see what was just a pile of dirt all of a sudden become this beautiful home and make someone's dreams come true. Oh, um, but, but, you know, we were only three branches. We had an IT guy and he, he 
did some stupid stuff, got himself fired. And I had helped him out on a couple of projects. And, you know, the, the chairman of the board came to me and said, Hey, will you, will you kind of fill in for this IT role while we look for somebody else? And I was like, you know, yeah, sure. Like I said, three branches, not that big. IT was not a full-time job at that point. So I could be a loan officer. Uh, eventually I became the branch manager there and, uh, you know, do all that with kind of IT on the side. Then uh, 2015, we merged together with uh, with two other banks that were under the same, we were always under the same holding company, but we were in different charters. Merged them together. We're going to have, I think at the time, that was 15 branches in total then. And, um, you know, each of the branches kind of had an IT, or each of the banks kind of had an IT guy, but none of them wanted to be in charge. And I was like, you know what? Well, these guys may know more than I do, but <laughs> but I'm okay with being in charge. I don't you know, hate the, the politicking and the management and all of that kind of stuff. I don't have to mm-hmm. have the most knowledge to, to be the one in charge of it all. And so I, I took on the CTO role at that point that did basically meant mean I, uh, I gave up the lending role, just, you know, two, that's one too many hats uh, when you're talking about a bank that big. So I uh, gave up the lending role. I stayed on as the branch manager for another another couple of years and ultimately had to give that up too. That, you know, that broke my heart a little bit. I I did like being in a branch and liked having customers inter- interacting with them and all of that. But, um, you know, but at the end of the day, you're aware, we're all aware, IT is just too big of a job and, uh, and requires too much time and focus. And if I'm sitting there chat, chit-chatting with a customer, which is important for branch development for whatever, Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the network goes down, you know, th- those two things don't, uh, don't exactly fit. And so that's, um, you know, took on that role basically full time at that point, been doing it ever since have a of course team under me to, to help out. Um, and, you know, a, a couple of years later, I got to go to uh, Southwestern graduate school of banking, uh, and get, uh, get my, my, I guess, graduate school experience there. I uh, graduated right. from that in 2019. That was a that was a wonderful experience. I'd recommend to anybody in banking that that is looking to kind of get to the next level that, that wants to be an executive someday, wants to build those leadership skills. And I was one of, you know, when I went there, it was funny. I was one of two people in my class of about 90 that uh, that was in IT. And and I had, you know, one of the professors actually asked me, why are you here? And I said, because I'm a banker and because I want to be a better banker and I may always mm-hmm. be in IT or I may expand beyond IT and, you know, operations, finance, whatever. I want to have all those skills. And I, and I feel it's valuable to have IT people in these rooms as well, because IT is going to be such an important part of the future of banking. Just, you know, it has been all along and it's just getting more so. Absolutely. And so our piece of it, the cybersecurity piece is even in the last few years has grown to be its own beast to tackle as well outside of IT, right? And so we, we're we helping a lot of our clients right now separate those two entities. So under the same umbrella, so everyone's under, under Brian, but they have their own duties because what we're finding is kind of similar with you, IT, you can wear so many different hats alone in IT, and what happened with you guys, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you, you 5 x so you went from three branches to 15 branches. Did you merge everything into the same core, into the same servers, into, did you migrate? Or when you made that transition, how did you, how did you handle that? And, and you're bringing in a lot of different personalities and methodologies as well. 
Oh yeah. I mean the, the personalities and all that kind of stuff took years to work out. Honestly, the, yeah. uh, the core migration, luckily we were all on the same core, um, uh, you know, the same, uh, software anyway. So migrating those together, I mean, it took a while, but, uh, but that was, that was easier because we were all a Fiserv shop. Um, sure. we made, we made the good decision at that time that, you know, none of the existing banks with our existing kind of data center rooms, uh, what I would call it, none of that was good enough. We wanted to be, you know, if we wanted to be this big professional, whatever, we were going to rent some space in a colo, very nice colo with all the redundant power internet, all those kind of things. That was definitely the right choice for us, even though at the time we we're like, man, look at the, look at the price tag on that. Are we sure it's really worth it? You know, in hindsight, sure. I definitely think it was. And, yes. um, and so, yeah, I mean, like you said, just overnight, we, we go from basically playing with just a few other very tiny institutions in, in a few local communities to much bigger, much broader, uh, and now competing kind of on a regional level. And um, it, it was a big culture shock. Um, it was, it, there were a lot of technology challenges along the way. And, um, you know, like you said, cybersecurity, that has kind of developed as a separate thing really only in the last from the regulatory perspective anyway in the last three or four years is when they've really kind of wanted to see that separate back then even in just 2015 it was more about okay well you know you've you've got the network and you've got the active directory and all that that you're managing and cybersecurity was just a okay yeah you do this too now it's almost flipped it's like well you're doing the cybersecurity right and you know if, if the network and whatever we know that 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 just works, but you need to be focused on the cybersecurity. Yeah, well, and 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 transmitting data and transmitting data securely are two are two different things, and this and the controls in place to do the latter is is definitely something where we're finding institutions just they need that some additional support, and so I wonder for somebody with you where your your list of duties does range very much. So the, the amount of th areas that you have to cover, one, how, how do you do that internally? How do you sit down and say, okay, perfect. I'm working on this project today, but I also have, you know, the examiner coming in, in three months. I have all these other things going, but this takes precedence. So how do you break out those duties? And do you think that, and you kind of answered this already, but having a knowledge of every area of the institution, do you think that plays to your benefit as the I, you know, as the IT and security leader? Right, right. I, you know, I'm not over physical security for the the bank anymore. I used to be the physical security officer too. I was sure. able to hand that off. Um, <laughs> but but even that, you know, ties into to IT in so many ways. I've been reading mm -hmm. um, Kevin Mitnick's uh, book, one of his books anyway, Ghost in the Wires, and mm -hmm. um, you know, if you if you just kind of sit back and think, how much of his ability to get access was was physical versus logical? You know, it's coming in the back door, literally, and plugging something in. Um, you know, so you definitely have to have that kind of experience when it comes to you. You just mentioned transmitting data securely. You know, as a loan officer. I definitely understood, hey, my borrower wants to get me tax returns and I want to give him the easiest method possible, right? He, he wants to bring me a thumb driver. He wants to email him. But as an IT guy, is that the most secure way to do it? And so, you know, certainly understand both sides of it there and try and come up with a solution that's both practical for the loan officer, practical and easy for the borrower, but also doesn't introduce, you know, bad stuff into our network. Yeah. Prioritizing 
all that is is a challenge. You know, I sometimes joke with my with my team. You know, I can almost tell you when an incident gonna is going to occur. It's going to occur when I'm busy doing. You know, when I'm the busiest that I've been in a month, and yeah. I'm solely focused on this one project. That's when we're going to have some sort of security incident. And I'm going to have to completely lose. You know, focus. Um, and so, you know, obviously you've got to you got to stop. You got to deal with the security. If there is a breach or something like that going on, that needs to take top priority. And nobody's really going to fault you for that. Um, at least I've never been criticized for dropping everything for security. You know, no. even if it's, even if it's like, Hey, this FBI guy is coming over here to deal with this. We need you to meet him. Okay. That I'll do that. Um, you know, outside of that, just prioritizing other tasks, you know, you just got to decide, okay, how many people is it affecting? How big of a deal is it? Okay, so there's some slowness over the network here, but you got a branch completely down over here. You know, is it impacting our customers, our reputation, all those kind of things? And uh, and then decide what to work on and decide how to shift your team. I mean, that's one of the, the benefits, I guess, in cross-training. Five sure. years ago, we, we didn't do a lot of that or we didn't do enough of that. And, you know, this was my domain and I could fix all these things. But, you know, I had other team members that, could do other things. And if you're not cross-training on that and I'm the only one that can do it and I've got three other things to do, well, then that's a problem. So now I train mm -hmm. my team. We try to all be cross-trained, at least two of us on all the systems. Isn't that so funny how when it's just you and you're doing it and you're managing it and it's fine and it's getting done and you're good, as soon as you bring somebody else in and you're like, oh no, I now have to teach you what my brain has just done. I know from a, a reveal standpoint, you know, we're going through that right now. We're, we're growing as far as an organization goes. And a big, big piece of it is taking what's in like what's Keaton done over these last years and teaching other people how to do it. And that's a totally different skill set than actually it is. doing it. And, and I mean, I'm not good at it. <laughs> yeah. I'm learning that, Brian. So you're, you're at yep. least in company. I'm not going to say good company, but you're in company. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's so much easier sometimes to just do it yourself because I can do it quicker, faster. I already know it all. Uh, and yet you're hurting yourself in the long run. Of course, you got to be yeah, willing to train others and bring them up to your level. So. Be, yeah. Be able to, to trust and just push away, I think is, is a skill and, and it takes, it takes time and, and you have to kind of do it again and again and again. And, and then also write down, you know, make sure you document everything. So that way you can, you can pass it along. That's, that's something I found to be important. How many people are in your IT team? Um, so I have four, including myself. And then I have, uh, we also have one vendor who kind of runs our network and he just, he basically works almost exclusively for us. So <laughs> he's like a team member as far as that goes. Well, that's hopefully, hopefully a lot of your vendors are that way. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully <laughs> this one may be more so than most, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully a lot of your vendors are, are treating you that way. And, and it's, it's, for people to handle that task and of, of that size of a, of an organization, I think that's even going to change as well. Um, you know, it's something like, like one point something million open security jobs right now, just mm -hmm. in the United States. And, and people are going to start fulfilling those positions. People are going to start stepping into those different roles. The more light that gets shined on it, um, are you thinking about that, about growing IT and security and, and just, you know, we'll lump it all together in IT, but do you think about that often as far as growing people-wise? 
Yeah, and, and kind of what we found, um, you know, you can go out and hire minimum wage, for lack of a better term. You can hire sure. those, those kind of low-skilled employees all day long. And some of those will turn into great employees. I've done some mm-hmm. of that. You know, I've hired somebody as a teller that has grown into much more than that and becomes valuable. And of course, with that comes an increase in pay and, and that's all good. Um, but sometimes you also need to be willing to hire the, the you know, $100,000 a year employee, the expert that already has 20 years experience, because they bring a level of knowledge to the table that, that you know, hopefully even I don't possess and they bring fresh ideas and all of that. And of course, it's a lot harder to find that person, you know, and it, just finding the right couple, getting them all interviewed, getting everybody comfortable with them. Um, you know, and so sometimes I'll be honest, we've had this discussion in among ourselves well we would rather have two of the lower end people or one of the higher end people and really the answer is you probably need both you know at some mm-hmm. point if we're going to continue to grow we're going to continue to add branches you got to continue to get those skilled people certifications is is one of those things i'm not i'm not a huge fan of but i do think they have their place and you know if i see somebody with like this cissp for example you know that they've got a certain skill set you know they've took, taken the hours taken the tests whatever to to be somewhat qualified and so i think that can definitely help somebody that's maybe new or newish you you certainly need some skills to even sit for that exam but you know somebody newish you can kind of weed out some potential candidates and and start there with getting somebody but like you said we're all underwater right now. The whole industry has this huge backlog and there's not enough people to fill it. Uh, no. And, and when I, when I left my previous job to this one, that was, that was a big part of it, Brian, was that it was, it was the opportunity and, and what I saw out there more, the breaches, I'm sure before I got into cybersecurity five years ago, they, they were very prominent and public, but I feel like they've become like a focal point, even in, in, in use the word media, but even in what we consume as far as, hey, this organization, the Verizon data breach, or these different these different incidents that have happened have become more of a focal point. And, and so people are going to start flocking and it's just building that team, like you said, and, and looking at that fit and what culture is going to be, what ideas, how they're going to work together. I I don't know if you're a Steve Jobs fan, but I've always been a, a big Steve Jobs fan and and one quote he had was he doesn't hire people to tell what to do. He hires people to tell him what to do. So it's hiring those people that have the skill set, like you said, to help drive the program, to help drive the organization forward. Um, and then the leadership just to kind of facilitate, right? Right, right. And, and, and help provide the, the, the resources and, and backing of the organization. Do you, do you find yourself doing that quite a bit with the team kind of, I don't know, backing them in ways as far as the CTO role goes? Yeah. I mean, I, I really try to, I hope I do it successfully. Sure, you know, sure. there, there's been several instances where, you know, we've been sitting around in a team meeting or something and I'll have an idea for the way I think we could best solve some problem or best design this new product. And, you know, and then everybody else, or you know, somebody else on the team will suggest a different method, and maybe everybody else on the team backs them instead of me. Okay, you know what? I thought this was right. I thought this was the best way. Clearly, y'all don't agree. That's okay. You know, we, you know, we'll try it y'all's way, and and not just try it. I mean, we'll we'll go all in with that, and and, 
and years later, we may look back and say, you know what, maybe sure. we should have done it different way, or maybe that was the right way. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. You know, we need to, we need to vet the ideas, but we don't need to be so proud of our ideas and our status. And like I said, I've got, you know, at least three people under me that are smarter than me. Uh, and, and I hope I always do because that makes my, my task easier, you know, at least in certain areas, they start talking, you know, network packets and, and, you know, levels and all that. And I'm a little lost, but, you know, I can make the big picture decision, hopefully with their input on the things they're experts on. So, yeah, you never have to bring an umbrella to a brand store. Yep. Yep. Um, so are, I, I see you're in the office now. Are you and the whole team in the office? Did you have any point of the pandemic where you've been from home things like that? So me personally, I have terrible internet in the little rural town that I live in. So <laughs> I've come every day except when we had our, our ice storm in Texas and we literally couldn't get out of the house. Um, Fair enough. I've been in the office. Uh, my team has been a little bit in and out. Um, you know, the bank as a whole, I would say at one point we were probably less than 50% in the office. Uh, you know, your, your, your personal bankers, your tellers, they need to be there physically to do some level of transactions, even mm -hmm. when we're drive through only. Um, but, you know, a lot of our people were remote. We were, I guess, thankful is the right word for that. We had, you know, just ordered a big batch of laptops right when everything started hitting. And so, you know, I got 20 laptops in the door and in about a week, I had 20 laptops out the door to all these people to go work from home. And we were already fairly remote, uh, capable anyway, before that, um, you know, already had VPN set up, already had a lot of our employees already uh, having laptops and docs and all those kind of things. I, I definitely know bankers and in, in, in communities with bankers that were not that way at all. And they're like, yeah, mm -hmm. we had one laptop for the boardroom and that was it. You know, even our CEO didn't have a laptop and really having to scramble, having to take physical desktops home. Uh, luckily that wasn't us. We did pretty well with it. Um, but now, you know, kind of back to the hiring thing, one thing we're seeing now is a lot of the people that we're hiring, not just IT, but, you know, mortgage and whatever, like they're, they're never going to come into the office at all. Uh, you know, they, they may come for orientation. They may come to pick up equipment, but, uh, you know, they may be working a couple hundred miles from the nearest branch and we have to be willing, willing and able to support them IT wise to get them onboarded, which is both an IT and an HR and, you know, everything mm -hmm. else. Um, but then support them on an ongoing basis. So that's a challenge we're still kind of adjusting to, but uh, but we've been able to make it work so far. With that transition, so you, you luckily really happy for you that that was a transition. We had clients where it was easier like yourself and we had clients where it was much more difficult um, to, to kind of make that transition and even just close lobbies and things like that. Uh, one thing that I'm hearing constantly right now whether it's in other podcasts or you know articles and things like that is as we've worked from home work has kind of taken a different shape so it's it's work all the time you get your you know you get your slack messages you get your text messages you get your emails you're always on in sales that's kind of like how you live and so when i started to hear this thought of burnout which is something that's always talked about um, i've always kind of been like, I mean, tough enough. People call all the time. Um, but it's very true. And I think that we're seeing it more and more now that the pandemic has gone this long and people are working from home this long is that thought of burnout. Um, burning out of the job, falling into that cycle of, of waking up and, and 
realizing that you don't want to start working, like realizing <laughs> that you don't want to get those things going. Is that something that you guys have noticed in the bank at all? Is 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 that I'm gonna use the word trend, but it's yep. burnout. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is. And, and I'll be real honest with you. We've lost some good people because of it, because they just, uh, you know, we're, I wouldn't say we're a high sales culture necessarily, but we're a high performing bank and, and always have been and always will be, um, you know, if we're not in the top 10% of our peers, we're not doing good enough. And so, you know, that, that means everybody's workload has to be tip top, you know, even if you're not a salesperson, like you mentioned. And, and so we've had people that, that gave their all, but could only give it for so long and, and, you know, burned out. Um, you know, for me personally, I, I, a couple of takeaways, I think that, that have helped me, you know, I, one kind of within the office, I've got a boss that will let me push back, you know, occasionally he will, you know, I'll be working on something big and something important and he'll be emailing me or teams messaging me or whatever about something else. And I'll just, you know, look, here is what I am doing. I don't have time for that right now. Can it wait? Yeah. Or do you want me to push off this other thing that I'm doing? Or I've got these 10 projects, help me prioritize them. You know, is this really that important? And, and he will listen and, and he will help out generally. And, and of course, I try to do the same thing for my team. You know, if I walk in your office and tell you I want something, feel free to tell me, you know, does that really need to happen right now? Oh, no, no. I was just letting you know because I would forget if I didn't let you know kind of thing. And then, you know, I do think even with the always on culture that we're so used to now, you still got to find time to turn off, uh, whether that means vacations, you know, or, or, you know, family time, whatever it is, you know, even if you got to, luckily I walk across the street from a park, you know, I can, I can be on a meeting, put in my earphones and go for a walk while I'm, while I'm having the meeting, that kind of thing. Yep. Um, for me, I like to, you know, I like to take my Saturdays usually and work outdoors. It doesn't matter if I'm trimming trees or mowing the lawn or whatever, you know, that's a time for me to just kind of do some menial brainless task and unwind and, and catch up on podcasts, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And I think, I think the, the idea of settling into monotony is what gets a lot of people to that point of, of, of that burnout position and, and looking to see if the grass is greener on the other side, which we've all, I think probably have all done that. And, and sometimes it's been greener and sometimes it's just been brown and dead. Um, but what pushes you to kind of look over that, I found is the monotony, like you said, of, of, of going through those day-to-day -day things and finding ways to break up that monotony. That has to be on you. And then trusting your leadership when you say, hey, I need a second. Like, I just need to take a second, just a day or something, an hour, a walk and anything to, to break up that monotony and to find yourself back to that motivation piece. We can't be expected to be motivated 24 seven every day of the year. I mean, that's just, that's not how we're built. We need that time, like you said, to, to, to really shut down and, and decompress and, and re, re gauge ourselves. Do you have any things that you do with the team for morale? Is there, do you rely on like, uh, like pizza Fridays or, or what's, what does Brian do to kind of keep the morale of the team up? You know, one of the, it's kind of silly, uh, but one of the things that I'll give you a couple of examples, I guess. One of the ones that we've done recently since COVID, you know, 
suspend the dress code. You know, if you're not customer facing, <laughs> nobody cares. If you want to come up here in a jersey and a ball cap, uh, you know, have your have your button up shirt in the car. That way, if you have to go to a branch and see customers, good. But if you're not, nobody cares. You know, sure. and um, maybe maybe the other departments get jealous of that. I really have no idea. I don't I don't care. But you know, me and my IT team that are just in an annex separate. You know, the only people we ever see is the UPS driver. So you know, it doesn't matter. And. I still get up and put on my work clothes every day because that makes me feel like, you know, like I'm going to work. They don't, they don't want to. And you know what, if it makes them more relaxed, more comfortable and better workers, great. The other thing I like to do, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a sports guy. I think we'll get to that a little bit later, but uh, sure. You know, I, I like to make them fill out March Madness brackets and, you know, NFL pickums and, you know, whatever. And I always try and give some little trophy or lunch or something. And, and we'll do that, not just with IT, you know, we'll do that as the whole office or anybody that wants to participate. It's, I guess it's more team building than relaxation, but it gives us something where, you know, when we're around the water cooler or the coffee pot or whatever the modern day version that is, you know, it's like, we don't have to be talking shop, talking it all the time. We could be talking about really, you, you thought the Browns were going to win, you know, what's wrong with you kind of thing. And so we have a lot of fun with that. And it allows us at least a few minutes a day to, to kind of relax from the normal, normal tasks. Hey, I think that's so important. It's funny. That, that's very much how our, our CEO Randy is. He, uh, you know, he'll, he'll ask me, Hey, how you doing? And I'm like, oh, okay, well, this is in the pipe. This is coming down. This is, we got this going. This person's doing this. This he goes, no, no, like I get like business stuff, but like, how is Keaton doing? And I think that's an important thing. It's becoming more and more demanding. We're expected a lot more of, of ourselves and, and our duties to, to make sure that we, we check in and just on a personal level, you know, we, we spend so much more time with the people we work with than the people that we, oh, yeah. <laughs> than like our spouses and things like it's that. It's so sad, and so, but yeah. So, so it's, it's, you know, and it's maybe 20, 30 years ago, people wouldn't be talking about this type of stuff, but this is exactly how it should be, is we should be able to check in with each other and just, hey, I got respect for you. I always get my duties done. How are you doing? Right. Just be able to check in with each other yep. is an important yep. is an important detail of, of what this is. And 20, 30 years ago, they couldn't reach out to you at four in the morning. They couldn't reach out to you at, at, <laughs> at these yep. times. So, so it, it has changed and we need to be able to, to shift and change with it. Which brings me to another interesting thing. I, I talked to Dr. Zach last week about this and I was kind of interested to hear your thoughts as well, just sitting in that CTO position. Do you deal a lot with the overlying FDIC regulations? Are you, I'm assuming you're with the examiners constantly when they're in and, and all those pieces? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's better now that I'm just doing IT because for a while, sure. you know, I had to, I had to answer to the loan examiners, the BSA, I was in charge of BSA for a while, examiners and the IT examiners. And, you know, I'd have all three of them waiting in a line to get into my office to talk to me during the exam. So, you know, in some ways it's better now. Um, you know, they're, they're evolving, right? We, we all are. Um, I would say, you know, for sure 10 years ago and maybe even five or six years ago, you know, it was, it was just a checklist, right? Like, do you have this control? Uh, are you doing these things? Where's your network diagrams? You know, it was just checking a bunch of boxes. Um, now I feel like both the, the FDIC and our, our state regulators, they're really 
trying to get beyond that you know are, are they perfect are they leading edge no but they're they're trying you know they're trying to make it more holistic they're trying to really get to the questions of you know what are, how do we make your institution more secure where are the real gaps here and uh, you know i think audit firms you know i'll throw them in with examiners there they've come a long way too or maybe we've just hired better audit firms i don't know but uh, you know that used to be the same kind of thing it was just a checklist now my auditors are are really asking me and helping to prove okay here's how the bad guys could get past your defenses you know i'm I remember our networking guy told me one time, oh, there's no way they can get in. You know, we, we did a pen test or whatever. There's no way they're going to get in. You know, they can't get past our perimeter. Well, you're right, but you're also thinking about it wrong. You know, yeah, our firewalls are patched and we got multiple layers and whatever. They're not getting through that way. You know how they got in? By sending a phishing email. You know, I, I mean, it, they got yeah. in because a user let them in. And that mm-hmm. that is going to continue to happen. That's And so... You spent. I'm not going to dwell on this because you spent a lot of a lot of the last week talking about it. But that is why we're always going to have to train users and new users and existing users and find ways to control their behavior where that's possible. But it's we're never going to be able to completely lock them down unless we're just locking the doors. And so you know, train the users, help to make them secure, and don't forget the other stuff either. You know, our firewalls need to be patched, like you started with. You know, Kaseya, mm-hmm. everything else. There's been so many examples of that in the last couple of years where we need to have the right systems in place too. Um, but you know, we also need to train the users. I feel like all the the bad news about uh, cybersecurity, if you want to look at it that way, has definitely helped in the budgeting process. You know, my, every time I speak to my board, they tell me, hey, if there's anything you need that'll make us more secure, you know, you just, you let us know, you know, hey, if you can, if you can promise us, we won't get ransomware, you can, you know, buy whatever you need kind of thing. Yeah. So <laughs> that, that definitely, even for people that don't even understand the threats necessarily, or not on the deep level that maybe you and I do, uh, they're willing to commit the resources to it because they understand the risks. So are you, and, and I think that's an interesting interesting point identifying the risk and not necessarily the threats trying to identify an individual threat is well that's just you're just gonna you're never gonna be able to do that there's too many it becomes too too big but looking at risks as a whole I think we're able to look at that and say what controls are in place and where can we is it training people better so yeah the firewall is great it might take a like a Chris Christensen or like a, a big time SANS instructor to, to be able to break into that network. Okay. But where else can we look at deficiencies? Is it training? Is it patching? Is it management, vulnerability management, things like that? Because there is going to be a gap. And unfortunately the bad guys, they're constantly looking for them. And so if we're not constantly filling them, then eventually they're going to win. And so it's, it's an interesting point that security is taking where it has to become way more proactive. It just has to. We have to stay above it. We have to stay in front of it and evaluating those things constantly. And then that's like, ah, <laughs> you thought you were busy then. That sounds like you're going to be <laughs> yeah, I mean, extremely underwater. You know, it used to be, it's like we spent time you know, fixing things and optimizing things and whatever. Now I feel like I spend so much time 
looking for new things, looking for yeah. that next tool, be it cybersecurity or otherwise, but particularly sure. cybersecurity, looking for that next tool that's going to take us to the next level in our in preventing threats or detecting threats or alerting or blocking, you know, whatever the case may be. Luckily, you know, I, I think I've found some good tools there, but, th- but that's a different skill set, right, than just fixing computers or fixing network or even looking internally for various threats and patching them and plugging them. You know, we need to be collaborative. I think mm-hmm. I, we, I, I will brag on our uh, state agency here. You know, we've got the, the Texas Bankers Agency and the Independent Bankers Association of Texas, two different trade groups, but, you know, they're, they're pretty good at that. They're pretty good about getting us IT guys in a room together, letting us bounce ideas off of each other. And you know what, if I if I'm need some software for this, that, or the other, I know 10 people I can call and get a recommendation. Or on the flip side of that, if I find some really good software, those that, you know what, you need this tool because it will, you know, help you with ransomware or whatever, um, then, you know, I, I can share it with those guys. Um, collective defense has become a big theme that they've been pushing and, and they've even partnered with an organization to kind of do that, to do information sharing and make it more real time, make it more automated so that we can all basically be telling each other because, you know, I know we're, we're in competition with each other in some ways, but not in this way. When it comes to cybersecurity, we're all on the same team. We're all working together. Right. We're, we're protecting our own individuals, um, customers. Are, we're protecting our own individual teams. And, and I never want to see, you know, something happen bad. It, put that sports, right? You never want to see somebody get carted off the field, whether yep. they're in your team or not. And and I think I think that's an important thing as the community of cybersecurity continues to grow and help each other find those tools. Because, you know, luckily, my side of, of this world is, is pretty simple, Brian. But I can imagine how risky it is as you're looking into those tools and then the investments into them. And you're, you're kind of, you're, you're doing your due diligence, you're doing your gut, you're, you're probably getting references, you're doing everything you can, but ultimately you'll never know how that relationship's going to shake out until the relationship shakes out. Yep. And so I think, I think that's even looking a totally even different risky type of a type of a point to it. And so being able to bounce that off of community members and say, Hey, have you, you know, have you ever worked with Rivial? Did they treat you terrible or were they yeah. awesome or, or yeah. whatever, how that could be. So that way you can get that unbiased, honest opinion and, and make the best decisions possible. Because ultimately the bigger cybersecurity grows, the more the, the more the danger grows, the more you're going to have to look at as far as that's concerned. Um, I, yep. you know, you know, I mean, if, if you were selling home security systems and there was a, a break-in next door, you bet your bottom dollar somebody's going to be knocking on your door um, within a day or so. And, right. and, and, I, and, and I think that's the point we're getting cybersecurity. There's, there's a million tools out there and, and being able to use that community and, and say, can you help me? Yeah, I mean, what you're talking about now sounds a lot like vendor management, actually, which we do. You know, we're used to doing that within the bank, not just for cybersecurity, not just for IT. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I sit on that committee, too, unfortunately, sometimes. (laughs) But, you know, but that's what you do. You manage your vendors. You make sure they're performing. And when you're looking for new ones, you don't just take the vendor's word for it because, you know, I mean, the vendor's there to sell you a product. Certainly. They, I'm not saying they all do, but they will lie about it if they have to, you know, but how, who are you going to get honest feedback from? We've got to have partners in our, in our banking community that we can go to. And, and then when you find a good one, I, I'm, I'm all 
I believe in being a reference for a vendor, right? If a vendor has done well for me and treated me right, you know, I've been on a couple of commercials and done the little videos or written up tidbits or been on reference calls, you know, if a vendor treats me right, I'm going to help them out too, you know, because, because again, we're making, if we don't, we run the risk of eroding faith in our institution. And I don't mean my institution. I mean, our institution as a financial system. We've already eroded some of that faith with the 2008 financial crisis and all that, you know. But if we continue to have these massive breaches and leak cardholder information and whatever, you know, we're going to lose those customers. We're going to lose them to a fintech. We're going to lose them to something else. I don't know what. But uh, so we all need to work together when it comes to these kind of items. Yeah. Do you think about fintechs often and and the the growing, you know, banking? I mean, you can get an Apple credit card now. Yep. Yep. And I do. And and we do. We you know, that's been one of our things, um, you know, some of our board members and, and executives have been pushing is, you know, fintechs can be the enemy, but they don't have to be the enemy. Hmm. A lot of fintechs you know, need, need banks, right? Like they need to work with banks for something or another, you know, um, Robinhood is the example I always use. If you're keeping money in your Robinhood checking account, that checking account has to live in a bank somewhere. Robinhood is not a bank today. Um, Correct. That actually, that might be as of the last couple of months, but you know, anyway, uh, so there are opportunities for banks there and we need to, we need to seek those out. We need to be working and partnering with fintechs, I think in a lot of ways. Um, does it, does, you know, you said, do I think about it? I, I would say, yeah, for sure. And, and I keep up with it personally, just because it's interesting to me. It's also, I think, another huge threat facing our industry. Not that that's what this podcast is about, but a, a same kind of thing. If we don't adapt and provide the services that Robinhood can provide or, you know, that Credit Karma or Mint or, you know, there's, there's dozens of them, right? If we don't provide those services to our customers, where are our customers going to go to get those services? And as we've seen, you know, somebody like like Rocket Mortgage, they start off just kind of offering a little bit and then they chip away and they chip away and they chip away. And now Rocket Mortgage, you know, I think the last time I looked, they're the biggest mortgage originator in the United States. Um, hmm. And it all started with an app. You know, it all started with a, with a simple online way to, to do mortgages and some good marketing, good advertising. And, you know, I guess they are a bank. They are a financial institution, but that's how they were able to be so successful. So we, again, fintechs can be the enemy, but they don't have to be the enemy. Yeah. Well, and the one thing the fintech can't do is, is, is be the community bank. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think that's something that will never go away. Um, is, is, not. <laughs> is the need, well, just the need for, like I said, community and, and being the community bank and being able to say, Hey, we're, we're taking all of what we're doing and we're putting it back into the customers and the relationship with customers and giving you those tools and that technology that you can go other places and, and, and still have that personal touch because try to get in touch with Robinhood. Yep. Yep. You, and and, and I would to- say, you know, with that, we, we do a couple of other things better than most fintechs. We're better at regulation. We've had yep. decades of, of dealing with examiners and regulation and following all that. I also think we're better at risk. We're better at figuring, you know, every loan that we do is a risk, right? We are very good at looking at those customers 
just from that small example and yeah. determining, okay, they're this risk. So we're going to price it at this. If, it, you know, if we make the loan at all and, and whatever, we're good at pricing risk. We're good at evaluating risk. And I think that's true of all kinds of things, compliance risk, you know, all the risks that we face. Uh, I think a lot of fintechs are not right. Uh, sure. I think we saw that with like the Ubers and the lifts of the world. It's like, we'll just build it and we're not, we're not going to worry about the consequences of building it. And then, then they have to deal with lawsuits. Then they have to deal with places outright banning them, you know, those kind of things uh, because they, they were so interested in going that they didn't stop to consider the risks. Of course that gets us into trouble too. When we take too long to figure out the risks, we never act on it. And, and so I think there is a balance there. Like you said, the, the community bank has already gone through those growing pains. And now the growing pains are pretty simple. It's just providing you with an updated app. It's providing you with a little bit more usability and accessibility and things like that. But the big heavy stuff, the, the super risky stuff, you've been through it and you get, you get it every single year you're constantly evaluating it and you're maturing that program forward. So yeah, I, I don't think personally, I don't think the community bank's going anywhere. I think we're, we're both going to be in jobs for a, a little bit longer, Brian. <laughs> well, obviously I've, I've staked my career on it. And, you know, our bank is a hundred years old this year. So, you know, and there's a lot like us. So yeah. you know, we've, we've proven it. We've historically, we're going to be around. We want to be around. We want to be a part of the community. Like you said, that's, that is why I'm a banker. That's that's kind of my passion. So, that's awesome. Well, Brian, this has been awesome. Uh, we have a few minutes left, and if you listen to the episodes, you know I am I'm a, a big fan, fantasy football guy, everything like that. But a uh, big fan of making just useless lists and rankings <laughs> um, that have absolutely no substance to them whatsoever. So, me and my me and my buddies have even sat around and, and made the Mount Rushmore of seasons. Well, there's only four of them, right? So that was <laughs> that was fun, right? Um, so so the Mount Rushmore game is we pick the top four of a topic. And as I was doing my research into you on your bio on the bank website, it says that you are in the recreational soccer league or <laughs> one of the chairmen of the recreational soccer. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I'm assuming that means big sports fan. Yes. And so, you know, in order to rank sports, I, I, you know, I guess I got to know whether we're talking about talking about watching them or talking about playing them. Because if we're talking about playing them, soccer is my number one. You know, I've, okay. I've played soccer since I was five years old and played through high school, even a little bit in college. Um, and still occasionally when I get the opportunity to play, play recre recreationally, coached, you know, all my kids' soccer teams and whatever. Um, but I'll be honest with you watching soccer, at least, at least American soccer, that, that doesn't do it for me. You know, I get, I get a little bit come world cup time or Olympics time, get a little bit of nostalgia factor, but, but outside that um, we've got a ways to go with us soccer. So, you know, I think from just watching sports, probably basketball is, is number one for me. And okay. I hope nobody from Dallas, I grew up in Dallas, hope nobody from Dallas is listening to that because you know, they're, what you grew up with the Cowboys and you're going to put basketball at your number one, but you know, I don't know the older I get, the more I seem to enjoy basketball. Uh, football's still up there. I'm still a, still a huge Cowboys fan. I uh, loved what we did to the Eagles this, this past, uh, past Monday night. So, you know, let's see some more of that. We, we obviously, uh, haven't been very good in quite a while. So I'd love to see a return to the dominance of the nineties. 
Fair uh, enough. Watching hockey occasionally. Uh, the Stars used to be pretty good, still are pretty good. And uh, love going to live hockey games. We have a minor league team actually in Austin that, that we can go see, and that's a lot of fun. And uh, I don't even know what would be number four, but I, I did think through it enough to say that I know what would be dead last on my list. I hate baseball. I know, yeah, okay. I, I know it's America's support, America's pastime, you know, whatever. Uh, not for me. Baseball is, baseball is about as boring as it comes. So I'm, I'm sure I just, you know, ruined myself in the eyes of some of your listeners. But, you know, sorry, that's that's just my opinion on the matter. Oh, yeah. The, the dozens of them will be super offended. So <laughs> that's OK. Um, yeah. So, so I guess I, I should have, I should have clarified it more. I, and I, and I did not even think about it one bit, but probably sports, sports to watch. And so for, so for me, first one's football, um, grew up football, pretty, pretty classic, probably American that way, played it in high school, all that good stuff. Um, next for me is golf. Huh. So I'm a big, big time golfer guy. Uh, try to try to get out I, I actually grew up on a it's very you know, public course and stuff like that okay. and used to just walk out golf and watch golf um hockey so live hockey games are up there for me also live soccer games so like any of the the american soccer or I, I used to live in salt lake city and okay. my, my roommate had season tickets to real salt lake Awesome. So we would go to Real Salt Lake and sit behind the visitors, uh, the visitors' goal, and we would go to like the party store and get it streamers and like throw streamers at the <laughs> visitors' goal during breakage time and, and stuff like that. It's super fun. And then, um, I mean, probably as as like a bystander sport to watch would be would be like a cornhole match. Like when you're when your buddies <laughs> when your buddies are just in a a real good cornhole match. I think that's one of the most exciting things to watch. You're just bouncing back and forth. And <laughs> I, I think we might disagree on our definition of sport there, but you know, I'll, I'll let it's you on. E, it's on an ESPN. It's not on ESPN primetime, but it is on ESPN. <laughs> it's funny. It's, I, you know, I think I was thinking about this too today and I was like, man, the only full Olympic, like I've watched, snippets of of olympic trials or not trials but, but um the, of the olympics and stuff but the only time i ever sat through like start and finish of an olympic event was the last winter olympics when the united states won um curling yep yep and i and i, I, sat I think there. we were all obsessed with curling for like a month there and it's like i've never heard of the sport oh before and you know i hadn't watched it since but brian it took five hours <laughs> <laughs> It was like one of the most painful. It started out and like, I can only raw raw for so long. It started out and I was just super excited about it. And then, yeah, it just, after like hour, two and a half, and like the dude that looks like me and the other dude that looks like me and the other dude that looks like me, <laughs> these guys just need to win. Um, so anyway, that's, that's our, that's our Mount Rushmore. I, I appreciate you uh, playing along with me and, and making your list. Uh, this has been super fun. I, I know I've had a blast. I, I hope that you've had a, a really great time. Um, and, and I really have. So I appreciate the invitation. Of course, you're, you're always welcome back on, uh, you know, unfortunately, when you jump on the podcast, you now 
fall into my friend bucket. <laughs> so, so now like you are, you know, your friend, you're always it's, welcome. It's official. Be re, yeah. Be a reoccurring guest or, or anything like that. If you ever need more coffee or anything. Um, but we always do end our podcast with just, just one major takeaway for somebody that's possibly in your position or growing to be into your position. Um, if there would be one major takeaway for them from what we talked about, what, what would that be? I got one thing and I'll, I'll make it quick. You know, um, I was always told college, whatever, high school, finding a career, you know, it was like, find something you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life. And I guess that's true for some people. Uh, I think for a lot of us though, you know, there's just nothing that you love that you can get paid to do uh, for a lot of people. And, you know, I, going through college and whatnot, did not necessarily have a, a passion for a career. I did not necessarily have a, oh, I knew I wanted to be this since I was four years old. Um, you know, but so I guess what I would say to anybody out there that's kind of in that position, you know, work is, is hard, but hard work can also be pretty rewarding. Um, not everyone can have a career that is their passion, but you need to find something that you can enjoy doing when, when times are good and that you don't just absolutely despise when times are, are hard, you know, work is any job is going to be hard at times. And if you just, if you go home and hate it and don't want to get up the next morning, then look for something else, you know, find something that you can definitely enjoy that, that find something that interests you. I enjoy, as I said, banking finance. I listen to a bunch of finance podcasts because it's interesting. You know, it's a hobby. I read about cybersecurity, you know, when I'm sitting at home on the couch by myself reading about the latest threats because it's interesting. Um, and then make sure you can find some satisfaction in other things outside of work as we talked about burnout, whatever, you know, find family, faith, friends, hobbies, whatever, all, all of the above, I guess. And, and, you know, have some of that too, to just take your mind off it from time to time. Awesome. Well, I'm not going to say anything more to ruin that because that was perfect. And, <laughs> and I will just say thank you again, Brian, and, and we look forward to having you back on. It's Breaches and Brews with Reveal Data Security.